Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Rich Eisen Show. Daddy's hosting today, kids. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. I think it's uh, been pretty obvious the mutual decision on both sides is is to move on. Baker's the one. You're breaking up with me. I'm breaking up with you first. Earlier on the show, ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passan. Panthers wide receiver DJ Moore. PGA Tour golfer Mark Hubbard. Still to come. Writer and director Ron Shelton. And now, it's Rich Eisen. Yes, it is. Can confirm. Hour number three of the Rich Eisen Show is on the air here from Los Angeles, California. We've already been on the air for a couple of hours. If you missed our first hour chat with Jeff Passan, who covers uh, baseball for the worldwide leader in sports, talked a little Freddie Freeman and uh, Angels Mariners brawl with him. In hour number one, DJ Moore of the Carolina Panthers in hour two. Great chat with Mark Hubbard, who is uh, a, uh, a grinder on the PGA Tour who got in last week's Travelers because Brooks Kepka left for the Live Tour. And he popped on our radar screen and um, and it, we said, let's let's talk to him. And we, if you missed any of those conversations, YouTube.com slash Rich Eisen Show. But thrilled to have here in studio in hour number three, one of my favorite people, that Susie and I have had the pleasure of getting to know and meet in our time here in Los Angeles, California, the author of this book that I'm holding up in my hands that's available wherever you can get your books on Tuesday, July the 5th. It is a terrific book called The Church of Baseball, The Making of Bull Durham, Home Runs, Bad Calls, Crazy Fights, Big Swings, and a Hit. None other than Ron Shelton. Great to see you, sir. I'm I'm just happy to be here. Hope I can help the ball club. Okay, I appreciate that. You've been called up. You've been called up into yeah. uh, into uh, the and a starting status here on this In, program for the El Segundo A team. Yeah, see, <laughs> hey man, uh, congrats on the book. Thank you. Um, I, I, I cannot wait to voraciously take this in. This appeared at our house, Susie, in our house on Tuesday. I'm like, wait a minute, Ron's got a book? What the hell's going on? And boom, here you are on a Wednesday because your, your, your schedule was awesome to be free. Why, why, uh, why write the book? First of all, uh-huh. first of all, yes. before coming here, I, I brought a signed copy. I wasn't okay. sure the publisher copy got to you. Yes. But I want you to look at it because I just watched okay. in the green room Yes, Tim... And, and my godson, Jack Henry, yes. and Tim said his favorite line from the movie. Now, I've signed this two hours ago oh, f- for you and Susie. Okay, this is great. Okay. This is great. Oh, no way. This is kind of like, like newlywed game stuff, yeah, right? Like, great. you wrote it down before. Yes. So, again, you're referring to when Tim and, and Jack Henry Robbins were here on this show last March, and in advance of your appearance here last hour, we showed a, a clip from that um, conversation 
where you asked Chris, right? You asked Tim Robbins' yeah. favorite line from the movie, and right. he said the rose goes in the front. Rose goes in the front. All right. Yeah. That's the setup here. So you signed this to Susie and I. Okay. Rich and Susie, my friends, the rose goes in the front. Always remember that, Ron Shelton. You go. <laughs> That's awesome. This is my marital advice. And one more thing yes, while sir. we're on domestic. Yes. You have best dad ever. Yes, sir. I promised to embarrass my son yes. who just gave me these socks for Father's Day. Can we get Let's those? Let's see what we got here. Uh, it's a super dad. You've yeah, got super look at dad that. socks. That's my son. Uh, there you yes. go, Anton. There you go. Very nice socks for Father's Day. Yeah, is such a, that's such a Father's Day The scary Day gift. thing is he's 18. He just graduated from high school. All league catcher, I might I imagine, but that was his. Oh. Uh, basically, I got those socks, and yeah. So, you, are you raising a Crash Davis in your own your own household? Right? Yeah, I am. Pretty much. Actually, yeah. Oh, well, how I'm about crash. that? <laughs> so let's get in. Let's get into the book here. Like, why why did you decide to uh, write uh, a behind the scenes or uh, a, a it, making of Bull Durham? It, it was an accident that happened because I wrote a something about it, and a literary agent got it and said, "I can. You want to write a book? I can sell the." I had no intention to ever write a book, and then the pandemic hit, and I'm home. Yeah. So I wrote a book, but the introduction to the book tells a couple of stories about why. Over the years, I'm always asked about the movie. There's so much misprinted about it. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford was not offered the part. Cher was not offered. There's so much <laughs> crap out there. Yes. Uh, and I went to Durham. <clears throat> excuse me. About four years ago. Mm-hmm for the 30th anniversary of the movie. And I, I was, I'm like mayor down there because the town was boarded up when we made the movie and then the economy came back and everybody says, the movie must have done it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I could be a mayor, seriously. And uh, I get the red carpet treatment every time. And Durham, by the way, is an incredibly nice place to live now. Everything's fixed up and the abandoned warehouses or condos and the new ballpark, the whole thing. So I'm down there and... Before the game, I'm doing a Q&A with fans. I got 500 people in a section of the 12,000-seat ballpark. And this couple says, we, they, they, they get the mic and they say, we moved, my husband and I moved to Durham because of the movie. Can we take a picture with you and our two sons? Mm-hmm. I said, sure, come on down here. Mm-hmm. So the Durham ball team had a photographer in the local paper. And the boy was 10 and the boy was 8. And I'm posing and I looked down at the boy and I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Crash. <laughs> and I, I looked at the mother and I looked at the young one. I said, I'm afraid to ask. What's your name? <laughs> and he looked at the mother and she says, tell him, son. He says, yep, I'm Nuke. Get out of here. So I said, I got to write a book. If this, <laughs> they name their kids Crash and Nuke. If they're naming their kids after these guys, you know, it's time for me to tell my version of the story. So that's that's honestly what triggered it. Did they get candlesticks for their wedding? <laughs> they will. I've already got them picked up. Because, <laughs> you know, I hear that's the that's a good thing to get for somebody's <laughs> wedding. My gosh, wow. that is so cool. And and the, the great part about this book, too, um, is it's about the making of the movie. And how the hell did you get this made, Ron? Because you had zero standing in in the film community, right? In the screenwriting community, pretty much. I was much. lucky. I was very lucky. And, you know, what what is opportunity meets whatever that line is. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the, there's a chapter that reads like a thriller about how close it came to not getting made. I mean, it came down to the minute of 
losing Costner and some everybody turned it down twice with Kevin attached. Every studio. Uh huh. Um, who are you? You've never made a movie and uh, minor leagues. Who cares? Script oh. was already written. Yeah. Kevin attached, yeah. right? And then I got Kevin attached. How did you get Kevin Costner attached before we continue? I sent. On? I knew his agent, and I sent her the script, and she didn't care if I was had a big career yet. Mm-hmm. I had a writing career, not a directing career. And she liked me, and she gave it to Kevin, and Kevin liked it. He was about to do another movie, mm-hmm. and he was having creative differences with the other movies. So there was this like brief window mm-hmm. that if I could land the big fish, and um, we did in the nick of time. I mean, it's we, I had 30 days to get the movie made, or he had to go do Everybody's All-American, the football movie. Yes. Uh, that, that Dennis Quaid later started. Right. Frank DeFord story. And his agent, his big agent wanted him to do the other movie, and his younger agent wanted him to do my movie. And on the last day, we'd been turned on everywhere. But at Thursday, we'd, lo- we'd lose him at 6 o'clock Friday, Kevin, for the other movie, because he can't not have a job in the... F- sure. And we called Orion Pictures in New York. I had written Under Fire for them, which they loved. It was not a hit here, but it was a big hit in Europe. And Kevin had a movie in the can for six months there called No Way Out that they were afraid to release because he ends up being a communist spy in it, right? But an incredible movie. Boy, with, with, with John, I mean, come on. <laughs> all, all we remember is the back of the limo with Sean Young. But, <laughs> and Gene Hackman. No, yeah. Great movie. Awesome. Know, yeah. A great movie. But yes, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, so they had sat on it because they didn't know what to do. And it was late August, which was the, the burial ground for movies in those days. Yes. School hasn't started. Everybody's on vacation. And I, we, we called them, Kevin and I, and in those, no email in those days. So we called his agency, William Morris in New York, and said, run over two hard copies. They're still in their office at 7 o'clock. And I said to them, we've got to know tomorrow because Kevin will do the other movie. And at noon the next day, they called and said, it's 3 o'clock in New York. Mm-hmm. They said, Does he, are you really going to lose him? I said, I'm not lying. We're going to lose him. And by Monday, we had a greenlit movie, and five weeks later, we were shooting. No. Five weeks later, yeah. Just under the gun. I mean, we would have never, and I don't think I'd ever got it made. So. And then between that, uh, I've got Ron Shelton here on the Rich Eisen Show, his new book. We're just getting just a, a slice of the stories, a small little sliver of stories in the making of Bull Durham, the Church of Baseball, the making of Bull Durham, new book that you can start getting on July 5th where all books are required. So uh, what about the rest of, of, that, of the cast? I know you, you, you told this story before on this show, but we might as well tell it again here, how Susan Sarandon was not well, a shoo-in either we, well, here, we like talk, the movie. In the book, I talk about something called The List with a capital L. Right. Every studio, network, streaming company has has a list of actors and actresses that are acceptable for financing purposes at any given moment. But it, but the list keeps changing. Mm-hmm. Names come off and on it. So you're trying to cast the movie from people that are on the list in, in the lead parts. The secondary parts don't matter. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't on the list. Well, we didn't know why. And so other women were on the list and then off the list. It was a nightmare. And her agent kept calling. So, and I kept saying, she's not right for the part. Well, I knew she was right for the part, but I can't tell the truth that she's not on the list because that's giving away company secrets. And then the studio head goes screaming at me. Right. And I haven't even started my career yet. So, <laughs> so finally, the agent says, she's, in, she's living in Italy with her two-year-old. 
and she's going to fly on her own dime from Italy to L.A. Will you see her? And I said, yes, I'll see her if she flies. I mean, I can't not see her. Right. So I said, Kevin, be here in the office out of respect. And Susan comes pretty much from the airport in this killer tube dress, man. Remember tube dresses? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> it has horizontal red and white stripes. And, you know, Susan can stop traffic. Yes. And, and she comes in boldly, and she looks. She doesn't look like she got off a 14-hour flight, right. I guarantee you. I think her kid and the nanny were in the car together out in the parking lot. Sure. And she comes in. She just owns the room. She just pushes Kevin around and charms him and, you know, charms everybody, and, and she leaves. And so we're all sitting around. It's late in the day on a Friday, I think. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, she was great, but she's not on the list. What are we going to do? Well, what we do is what I always do. I pour a drink, <laughs> you know, to slow the mind. And uh, about an hour later, I get a call from Mike Medavoy, who ran the studio. Yes. And he said, you know, I was looking at the list here. He didn't know we just met her. And Susan Sarandon, I saw her a couple of weeks ago at, a, at an event, and mm-hmm. she's looking great, so let's put her on the list. And we knew that he didn't see her two weeks ago. She was in Italy two weeks ago. What she did was she went straight from the meeting to Orion Pictures, started working her way up and down the hallway until <laughs> she found Metavoy's office and dazzled all the men in the hallway left for the airport to fly back to Italy, and he put her on the list because of that red and white tube dress, I guarantee you. And that's but, how Annie was born into your film. And she gets to Italy and gets a call that she's been hired because I hired her immediately. And, and so she has to fly from Italy to Durham. So did she love the script too? Is that what happened? Yeah. I mean, she just, she's been, you had her at hello with the script and everything else. She knew the script. I mean, she didn't carry it around. She auditioned like like ready to shoot and how did tim robbins get attached to this because again your godson is jack henry and that was the funny <laughs> thing when he was here on studio is like this is the movie that that created me because this fun, is where his parents met so how did tim that robbins was the hardest out? part to cast because some of the athletic guys were like young versions of kevin and you, you couldn't have a, a young you couldn't have a 20 year old version of kevin when you had the 36 year old version of kevin right why would she go with a younger version so you had to have somebody very different and and he came in, he was, what, six foot four or five. He's a big, big guy. And he was youthful and bullion. And, you know, he, he was 30 playing 19. <laughs> he had such a boyish face. And mm-hmm. he was just so different than Kevin that I put them in a room together. And I thought, that's great chemistry because they just, they're so different that, you know, um, chemistry in movies, the book talks about this, has to yes. be two people are completely different. You know, you can't put... I mean, that's why Bogart would work with Paul Honrad. He wouldn't work with another tough guy. Nicholson doesn't work with another tough guy. He works with mm-hmm. somebody different. So anyway, I, I was very lucky to find him. And he also, he, he, I thought he had never made a movie. He had made one, and they didn't tell me about it, called Howard the Duck, which was the biggest oh, bomb fuck. in the history. I know, right. He was the lead in it, but... They, he didn't tell me, and the agents didn't tell me. So For after good reason, I, though, right? <laughs> yeah, after, he, after I hired him, they, somebody said, you hired the lead in Howard the Duck? I said, you're kidding me. <laughs> but he was great. Of course he was. Ron Shelton here on the Rich Eisen Show. Uh, before we take a break, I just want to ask this question. Uh, you must have some terrific insight on it. I, I, I have some idea of it, but I'd love to hear from you. Costner is in Bull Durham. Costner is in Tin Cup, which we're going to talk about a little bit in the next segment as well. Costner in Field of Dreams. Costner made his own 
sports movie as well in For Love of the Game. And he was terrific in draft day when I thought we would yeah. never see him in another sports movie again. And it was just one of those moments at the end of that movie where he just dominated the scene and it was you made you love sports and love the moment. Why do you think he's so perfect for those moments in these movies, Ron Sheldon? I, I think he's a great fit for me because we both came out of working families. You know, we didn't grow up with a... I mean, he was from Ventura. I'm from Santa Barbara, but mm. we weren't didn't have a silver spoon in our mouth, and we had working parents, and you know, and we were high school athletes and junior high athletes, and in my case, a college and beyond athlete. So, mm-hmm. we both came out of not totally dissimilar backgrounds, and kind of had to claw our way into the business. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I used to knock on doors and leave scripts and stuff, pass them out like a homeless guy in the street. Read my script. Here's my number, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so I think he's a hard worker, and I'm a hard worker, and we both really respect how difficult sports is at a high level or at any level. And a lot of people who are just fans don't get, this is a tough way to make a living. You know? And I think movie making is very athletic. It's preparation, 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 and then action. You know, the, the whistle blows, the... The ball is kicked off, the, the ball mm-hmm. is tipped, the first pitch of the game, and suddenly all that preparation becomes in, instinctive and, and intuitive, not rational anymore. And so making a movie is very similar to playing a game. What about a relatability factor, though, too, right? I mean, like, you, you've got to – it's not just believing him as an athlete. There, there, there's just – I'm just trying to find, like, what – because he's great in everything he does. Yeah. I mean, even now, right here on, on Peacock, you could see all yeah. of Yellowstone and everything that the guy does is spectacular. Um, I'm a huge fan. He knows that, too. But I just wonder what, because we we talk about it all the time, like sports movies, who's the greatest actor in sports movies? Well, who's been in the ones that <laughs> resonate the most, the longest? And it's him. It's him, by far. It's not even close. Correct? Yeah, not right. even close. He, you know, I played pickup basketball with him. He's a good basketball player. Uh, you know, how, how many? How hard is it to look decent hitting a golf ball? It's the most difficult of all of them. You know, uh, he could be in a basketball movie. I mean, he could have been. Mm-hmm. He, he could probably ice skate and be in a hockey movie. He's just a natural athlete. And you can't teach that. You can't teach athleticism. Right. The Church of Baseball, the making of Bull Durham, home runs, bad calls, crazy fights, big swings, and a hit. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, I want to hit on, uh, go down a little bit of memory lane and also spin forward if you're up for it, some of the characters and some of your other iconic films that you've put out there. Ron Shelton, now an author to go along with his screenwriting and directing credits. Back here on The Rich Eisen Show in a moment. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people, or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, 
helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eisen. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Ron Shelton back here on the Rich Eisen Show. So, okay. Running back, running yeah. back. Okay. He could have gone into any college, except he wasn't interested in books, and he signed right away, and like three years later was with Henry Aaron in the majors. So okay. Now it's 1957. We don't have a television yet. And we're at Sunday school. Mm-hmm. My dad gathers us up. We're going to skip church. We're like terrified. Man, God is going to strike. And he throws us all into the giant station, beat up station wagon, right? Mm-hmm. My mom's like, okay with it. Something's up. We get home, and there's a guy from the local department store installing a TV. Because it was the fourth game of the World Series. The Yankees, uh, uh, the Braves against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the Braves were down two games to one, and they were trailing. And we watched the game. And we kept waiting. God is going to come and get us, man. We're, we're skipping. And in the 10th yes. inning, Eddie Matthews hit a three-run home run to win the game. To win the game. Yes. And we started going to church less. <laughs> and that's why this is called the Church of Baseball. Eddie Matthews released us from the Old Testament. <laughs> that is amazing. When did you decide you wanted to play baseball professionally, Ron? When did that happen? Oh, when I was three, probably. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. But in high school, I was the little scrappy guy. I wasn't very big, mm-hmm. but I would like choke up that much and just hit singles everywhere. Right. And then in one year, I grew to 6'1", 180. And so when I was a freshman in college, suddenly, like, no D1 school would have been interested in me in high school. Mm-hmm. But suddenly, in freshman in college, everybody was, scouts were saying, wait a minute, mm-hmm. where'd this guy come from? Because I had skills, I just didn't have size. And, and then I realized I have a, I'd have a shot, and I was going to get drafted as a sophomore, but I wanted to keep playing basketball and baseball. So I signed... My, after my senior year. With who? With the Orioles. The Orioles? Okay, so you were always in the Orioles system, pretty much? No, I thought I was going to sign with the Angels. And then I, my whole career, I was in the Orioles system. Right. Who, who was with you in the Orioles system that we well, might the, know? There's a funny story in here. I, I signed, I went to, from LAX, I went from Santa Barbara to Bluefield, West Virginia, in the middle of cold country. Uh-huh. The, the rookie league, the Appalachian League. And I get there, I'm a third baseman. And there's 40, 50, there's 50 60 guys there. The season starts the next day, and I'm going, but there's only 25 roster spots, so 60 guys thought they were on a team, and they still, we're still competing. Mm-hmm. And I look at and there's less guys taking infield at short than anywhere else, so I said, I'm a shortstop. This is true. And I made the team. It's a, it's a really great story. I started the next night. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, Joe Altabelli is starting his career as a, as a, as a manager. manager after a career, Crash Davis kind of career. Yes. Cup of coffee in the big leagues, triple A star. He calls me in and he says, Son, big cigarette. He says, How'd you like to play second base? And I said, 
oh, no, I'm playing shortstop. I, I'm killing it. I'm hitting third. I haven't made an error. And he says, well, they just, Orioles just signed their number one pick, a kid out of Long Beach named Bobby Mark, Gritch. Bobby Gritch. I said, he's got to beat me out. And he says, son, he's already beat you out. <laughs> he's their number one pick. They give him a lot of money. How much money they give you? I said, well, what, are, what about our second baseman, Jimmy Morrell? Mm-hmm. He's doing great. Mm-hmm. Joe's on the camera. He says, son, do you want to play second base or do you want Jimmy Morrell to play second base? And I said, Skip, I love second base. And Jimmy Morrell is gone the next day. And welcome to pro baseball. I thought for some reason you were saying third base, you had to move off it because Brooks Robinson was going to be living there anyway for forever and a well, day. So I thought l- that's what I was going. Let me tell you, when I got to AAA, yeah. th- we had a AAA third baseman who had been four years in a row internationally also. Mm-hmm. Didn't get a cup of coffee in the big leagues till he was 32 years old. His name was Mike Ferraro. He was a hell of a player mm-hmm. because he was insurance for Brooks. And rather than sit on the bench in Baltimore... They wanted him to be sharp, and so he played every day and not getting a chance in the big leagues. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's what a story he was that is. The hill. Yeah. What a story that is. Yeah. That's unreal. Well, like, he, he was a bit of the inspiration, not his personality, but his dilemma for Crash Davis. I'd imagine so, right? That you're there and you want to be in the bigs, but they need you to stay sharp. So you go where you can get the ABs, and yeah. Brooks Robinson's never going to. I mean, he hardly missed he, anything. He never missed a game. Unbelievable. And then, and then the other guy whose inspiration was, I write a lot about this guy, Steve Dalkowski, mm-hmm. who's considered the hardest thrower ever played by almost everybody. And in the minor leagues, in Bakersfield, he would show up begging money. He was an alcoholic. And then he would come to the clubhouse. And Joe, Joe Altabelli, who, who was my manager most of my career, he would yeah. go out and give him money. And we'd say, who is that, Joe? See, that's Steve Dalkowski. And these stories of Dalkowski started coming out. He'd, he, he'd been in the Baltimore organization for, I think, 10 years. Right. He, his average, his career was 13 strikeouts, 13 walks a game. He had one game was 20 strikeouts, 20 walks. And, Come on. Oh, yeah. No, he's like through 300, 400 pitches a game. He was a little lefty. And, I mean, the, the legends are all, I, I write about him sure. in the thing. And yeah. he took him all these years to, and Earl Weaver, a minor league manager in Double A, got him to, like Sandy Kovac, don't throw so hard, Steve. You yeah. still throw 100 miles an hour. Just throw 80 percent. And so he had this great year in Triple A, and he made the major league roster after 12 years, and he hurt his arm in spring training field, fielding a bunt. Come on. fielding a bunt. So he gets to Triple A, and he was an alcoholic too. Dalco, Dalco. Mm-hmm. died in COVID. Sadly, in a rest home. So Dalco was gets to AAA after all these years in the minors. Yeah. And they room him with Joe Altabelli, who's a 36-year-old AAA veteran. Because he's so, one guy's so mature and the other guy's a mess. Mm-hmm. And they, they said, Joe, your job is to mature him and just keep an eye on him. And, and I said, what was that like? And Joe says, the old line, he says, I don't know, I roomed with his suitcase. Because he was out drinking all night. And that's... That became... That relationship wow. of Nuke, and, of Dalkowski and Joe Altabelli, not the specifics of their character, sure. but the dynamic became... Nuke and Crash. Became Bulldog. 
Ron Shelton here on the Rich Eisen Show. All right, let's let's have a little bit of fun here if you're uh, up for it, even though I haven't told you about it, so hopefully you are up for it. We have two characters from four of your films, including Bull Durham, where now everything, there's the, you know there's sequel mania once again, certainly with Top Gun Maverick making a billion dollars worldwide. I'm wondering if we, we, I'll give you two characters. You tell me where you think they are today. Off the top of your head, Ron Shelton. Yep. Okay, we're going to start with uh, from the film uh, Bull Durham, as we've just discussed. Where Where is Crash Davis today, would you think? Crash Davis uh, got a, went to the minor, started in Visalia mm-hmm. as a manager, mm-hmm. and he's worked his way up and has taken him all these years, and Durham is now a AAA town. Mm-hmm. So he's worked his way up to Durham, which used to be a gateway to oblivion, and now it's possibly the gateway to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. So he's on the verge of actually getting to the big leagues as a manager. And that's how we, we find Crash Davis right yes. now. Yes, there's other, there's other things. Okay. Annie. Where's it, it, is Annie still with her right now? Well, it, didn't, I mean, it, didn't, it didn't work out. I, I, I outlined in the, in, in, in the afterword of the book yes. the outline for the sequel I once had that didn't happen. Okay. Everybody's too old now, but yeah, after they carry it, it didn't work because she's not going to travel around being the supportive wife of, a, right. you know, Snitker's wife or whatever. And I, and I love, I love Brian Snitker. But By the way, that's a great, like, that, sound, that sounds like a, a rejected Neil Simon movie, right? The, the Snitker's, <laughs> Snitker's wife, wife, Snitker's wife. All right. Well, she's sorry, an angel. All those wives right. are angels. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. Andy Reid's wife, Jesus, what they, right. So, um, and I, I love Snitker and I love Andy Reid, so I can use their wives. Sure, and, yeah. And, 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 so so uh, it doesn't work because she can't do that. So she ends up teaching in the Sorbonne in Paris <laughs> as an expert on Edith Piaf. The singer. The okay. singer who she's always playing in her house. That's in right, movie. that's right. Well, who? And she's like the legendary French singer. But who is... Susan, really an expert on about Piaf's life. Who is Piaf's love, big love? Marcel Sardin, the, the middleweight boxing champion. Mm-hmm. There's movies been made about this, mm-hmm. that her love was an athlete, Piaf's. So she falls in love, she thinks, with a French director, but she doesn't realize that it's not real love until she goes back to teach one year at Duke University. Ah. <sighs> And runs into manager the manager, Crash. Crash. So where has Nuke been? Yes, that's He's, the next one. He, yes, Nuke's been in Venezuela working on a knuckleball. <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't even noticed that the country's gone to hell. <laughs> and who discovers him down there? Well, Robert Wool never gets to the big leagues as pitching coach, yes. Larry Hockett. He ends up being a scout, which is the worst job in the world. And he ends up in in Latin America, where at least you find great players, in Venezuela, but there's no economy, so he's living in, a, uh-huh. in his car. And he discovers Nuke with a pretty good Jim Bouton, you know, knuckleball. And they're reunited, and he manages. He calls the big club and says, look, there's always room for a knuckleball. I, believe me, you, this guy, first-round draft pick. This month. So where does he go? Goes to Durham. And they're all reunited. 
Wow. That's a movie that'll be, never get made. Oh, people, man. No, I'm, I'm all in. Let's get the people, time machine. Man. Ron Shelton here on the Rich Eisen Show. Let's play a little Where Are They Now from Blue Chips. Okay. Uh, Coach Pete Bell. What happened to him? Where's Where's Coach Pete Bell right now, do you think? Uh, he's in Turkey. He's in the Turkish Basketball League. Okay. Which is actually a pretty good league. Yeah. He's coaching the women's team. Fantastic. There's some really interesting stories. There was a woman that played for the L.A. Sparks <laughs> who um, I, I tried to get the rights, and it was too complicated. Although now in the demands of the business, the mandates, maybe she was, you know, big, strong, power forward, mm-hmm. um, you know, lesbian. It's a common in that league. And she was also Muslim and trash talker and she was really funny i'm not going to mention her name okay she ends up in in a in a getting in trouble here in the WNBA and uh, for a charge that was later dropped it was okay. a false charge and she ends up in the turkish league this is true where she's mvp and she's this phenomenon in, in turkey because she's talking trash on and off the court and they love her and the nba WNBA forgives her they realize the charge was false and she has a chance to come back, and the team she picked was whatever the Washington, D.C. women's team was mm-hmm. called because she had a crush on Condoleezza Rice. This is a true story. She said, I want me some Condi. I want me some Condi. I, the woman told me this. I said, this is a movie, man. I, I can do this, but I couldn't get anybody interested. So you're, you would weave Coach Pete Bell into yeah, he's this? In the, yeah, he would be coaching her. Okay. And then the, the other uh, character from Blue Chips were wondering about, what, where's Happy Kuykendall today? Where's the booster today, do you He's, think? Name a university. Well, let's see. <laughs> uh, we have an idea. Western University. Yeah. He runs the Western University NIL program, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Do you think? Yeah. He, name, image, and likeness? Yep. Because now his world, Happy's world is... Yeah, he's codified. The, he's the new Sonny Vaccaro, you know. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, he's no, he's oh, he's made it. He's yeah, he's like the guy who's the who's the guy I wrote a script about him that'll never get made. The <laughs> Balco Lab. Um, oh, Victor Conti. Victor Conti. I parked outside Victor Conti's house one and waiting for him to come out and pin him down. He was the guy selling all the drugs to everybody. Yeah, right. And it was busted. Big by the paper and the mm-hmm. great book called Game of Shadows came out of Of course, I remember that, that. Yeah. yeah. Great book. We optioned that, too. And Conti now, Conti, who's, who's the biggest drug dealer ever, is now leading the anti-drug charge, working with the WADA and the and the, all that. It's like, He's wait seen a minute, the you were the, you were, you were, you know. Cream in the clear. You were Escobar, Pablo Escobar, and now you're the <laughs> DEA. How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> so Happy's working for Victor Conti? Yeah. So it's pretty <laughs> right. All right, ne- next up, where are they now? Ron Shelton. This is just off the top of your head. He had no. Ron has no idea this is still coming. Where is Billy Hoyle today, do you think? Ron Shelton. It's like we're workshopping. We're in the no, writer's room no, right Billy's, now. No, Billy's sad. I, th- I think Billy never escapes. You know, he's working... You know, the best he can do is work for Caltrans with an orange vest leaning on a broom by the side of the road. That would be good for Billy. That's where Billy Hoyle is today. That would be the best. But probably he's working in a rec center somewhere, you know, sweeping the floor and trying to play horse games with young kids. I just, I don't think, at least in my, I think he was doomed. 
No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Does that bum you out, Chris? Kind of. I mean, you could kind of see that by the end of the movie that Billy is just kind of trapped in a world that by his own doing he can't get out of. And uh, it, it does make sense, even though you want what's best for him, because he's a very likable guy. I'm going to go off the road here. How'd you get Marcus Johnson for that movie? How'd you get him? Marcus auditioned, and I loved him from when he was a great high school player at Crenshaw High to UCLA. He auditioned. He read for the role? Yeah. Marcus Johnson? Yeah. And Did you know he was coming in? Like, Marcus, the Marcus Johnson was coming in to read for the role? Well, I saw who was coming in, and I said, this is, this is Marcus Johnson. Was he the only NBA player that came in to read for that role? Do you remember yeah. the call? Okay. Yeah. But he was, um, Marcus, a great guy, by the way. Really, yeah. Really great guy. And people forget what a dominant player he was till he hurt his neck. He got hit in a, in a car accident. Yeah. But yeah. he was like all pro his first six or seven years. And the wooden award winner. I mean. He was very believable in this role. Well, he was going to go get his gun. Great guy. <laughs> That's for sure. Go to the, don't go to the glove box. <laughs> where uh, is, uh, and then the, the next one, where is Gloria Clementi today? Where do you think Gloria is oh, today? Oh, she's gigantic. She's gigantic. Because she is made for this world of uh, social media. And, you know, I mean, she would be, all these women and men who have giant careers and you don't know what they do. Well, she actually does stuff. So I, <laughs> She would, she would be dwarfing Kar- the Kardashians. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> she'd be the all-time Jeopardy champ right now? Ken yeah. Jennings. Like, like, she'd be Ken, Ken Jennings? Jennings? Would she be, like, she... I doubt that I doubt. Okay. <laughs> she'd be she guest hosting uh, she Jeopardy? She would have leveraged her appearance. No doubt about that. Uh, last one for you. Uh, where is Roy McAvoy today from Tin Cup? Where do you think Roy is today? <laughs> He's on the live tour. Hold on a second. <laughs> Roy would never join the Live Tour. Do you think he would join the Live Tour? I hope not, because I love the Live Tour. Because <laughs> that was our choice yeah, for where David second. Sims is today. We'll give you one oh, here. Sims is, yeah, 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 you're right. Sims is on the Live Tour, and he's probably on the board with, with Patrick Reed and, and all those guys. Greg Norman. We think yeah. that he would yeah. be the guy who stalks the players on the PGA Tour to call him up yeah. on behalf of right. Greg Norman to say you should come. Like You're he's right. the, That's what David Sims is doing today. McElroy right? has too much soul. He just um, <laughs> He's playing on some satellite tour somewhere, senior satellite tour. But, yeah, the live tour, don't get me started. I mean, I'm, you made your choice, fine. Let, let, me, let me pose this. You sure. didn't ask the question. but no, Go for it. People who say, well, the U.S. government does business with... Governments have a job of self-preservation of nations. This is different. What if I said, mm. if you defend the live tour, blood, money, and all, I said, okay, what if Kim Jong-un starts a tour in North Korea, backed by Chinese money, and he doubles the live tour money? Do you have any qualms about taking that money? And what's the difference? You would ask this of the players on the yeah, live tour what's right the now. What's the difference? Where, where do you draw a line? They're saying they're growing the game, Ron. Well, they're not growing the game. They're growing their bank account. I mean, <laughs> it's also not competitive. It's, 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 it's exhibition golf. Think about it. All these guys are supposed to be political conservatives who say, I got no beef with you. There's no free lunch. You got to earn it. That's what competition is about. The winner gets the you know, sport. Wait a minute. Here's $100 million. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's exhibition golf. And you play three rounds. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it defies everything that sports is about. 
Now, Matt Wolf says, look it, I can't deal with the, you know, he's just having meltdowns. I just need it. If it's exhibition golf, I'll take it. At least he was honest about it. But you're not growing golf. That's why David Sims is doing it. Oh, yeah, you're right. He's on the board. <laughs> That's what we were thinking. Where he would, but Roy, does Roy ever make it back to a major? What do you think? Well, he did in, my, uh, in the sequel that we tried to get Warners to make, and then Warners was changing heads of studio, and they, we had we, – the sequel is going to be called Cup at the Q, and he goes to Q school. Oh man, and and we couldn't sell that on. So I so then I wrote with John Norville, who wrote Dan Cup with me. Yeah, played at Stanford, really good player and writer. We wrote a movie called Q School. Just forget Just, it. And then Costner was going to do it, but we couldn't. We couldn't make deals with everybody. We had a deal two years ago, and it all fell apart. So Cup at the Q School. So uh, it, he. Costner would have got, had to go back to try and get his tour card again? That, that Roy yeah, McIlroy was yeah, trying because, to get his tour card again? Yeah, by finishing in the top 10 at the Open, yes. you get invited next year to a couple of yes. things. But you're not, you don't get your tour card. Right. So, yes, the character would have had to gone back and qualify. And I hung out, I went to the Q School a couple of times and hung out down at Palm Springs. To see what's up, just to see what's up. Yeah, and yeah. Lee Jans was there. He has two U.S. Opens. He was trying to get his card again. Wow. Think about that. It's crazy. Man, I would be into a Roy McAvoy prequel because there are all the legendary stories about how great he was and like him and a young Cheech Marin. And then what happened? And then well, what do you think about that? Meltdown. Can Kevin play 30? <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of young guys now. <laughs> well, like I know. Then you have to recast right. it. I don't know. You get Josh Lucas to do it, right? I mean, isn't that the, 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 the little Yellowstone connection right there? I don't know, right? Josh, Josh Lucas is a good golfer. The... the I got a call from an agency yesterday and from the producing partner on 10 Cup saying, there's two names. I'm going to use them. Uh, no, I won't use them. Okay. But I'm going to meet with them. They, they mean a lot, and they're golf nuts as actors. They want to develop it as a series. And I said, I'll sit down and hear your idea. Because yeah. Warner Brothers owns the rights. I, I, I don't have the, they have to buy in. But there's still an area to be mined. Yeah. I think, so. I think so, too. I think so no too. question about it, Ron. Yeah. I have no, no doubt about it. And you know who would be producing partners. Of course. <laughs> the people who he's uh, inscribed the book to. Come on now. Get the rose in the front, <laughs> the, the rose in the front, <laughs> everybody. The Church of Baseball, the making of Bull Durham. Home runs, bad calls, crazy fights, big swings, and a hit. Must read material from Ron Shelton. You are the man. Anytime, Ron. Anytime you know that. You're the best. When I come back, I, yes. I forgot to do this. Yes. I got a bobblehead. Okay. For you. Okay. Of me. Okay. One face is a director, one's a baseball player. Because a couple of years ago, I got into the Rochester Red Wing Hall of Fame. Okay. And I went back there with my wife and yeah. son, who hadn't didn't know that part of me way back then. Sure. And I didn't know it, but they gave me a bobblehead, and it was very moving to get a bobblehead. So, yeah. Do you have one? Uh, I do actually. Um, it's up on the wall over there, and uh, that's part of the reason why. You know, you got one more segment left yeah. in you. Let's yeah. take a break. We got Ron Shelton here for one more segment. That's why we'll wrap up the show on the Rich Eisen Show in a second. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. 
Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Back here in our terrestrial radio outfit. You told a story about you had a bobblehead doll that, that you had made and whatever. Well, I didn't. Well, I didn't it, was made make in your, it. it was made in your, on your behalf. Okay. Rochester, New York, the Rochester Red Wings, yeah. where I played my last year yeah. and a half uh, and had great fond, uh, fondness for it. We had a great team and won all these championships. And I was called back there, even though I probably made more hits after Rochester than at Rochester. But... <laughs> It was great, and I went there with my son and my wife, Lolita, and because uh, uh, they'd never seen me that part of my life. Yeah. Because that was a long time ago. Sure, and that's pretty neat. And uh, my son threw out the first pitch, hey. and, and I've signed about 1,800 bobbleheads. It's hard to sign a bobblehead. I can imagine way. so. I mean, you asked me if I had one made, and and, and so th- th- here's the story. is I, I, I was towards the end of my ESPN tenure, and I was beginning to feel like maybe – ESPN wasn't really the place for me long term, which was really freaking me out because it was such a part of my identity. And it was like I won the lottery as a 26 year old to come from Redding, California's ABC affiliate to be on SportsCenter at the heyday. Um, And the thing that really made me feel that way is that ESPN management made bobbleheads of SportsCenter anchors and I wasn't one of them. What? And so, right. So I thought to myself, you know, Writing's how, on the wall. Well, how, writing's on the wall. How petty is it of me to go into <laughs> management to complain? Why don't Why didn't you make a bobblehead of me? Like, it, it, there's no win there, except I just internalized it. It's just you know having that writing on the wall. So uh, when I was hired at NFL Network, and I I, I reached out to during the, the difficulty of my negotiations to him as a, as just to ask him for advice was Steve Bornstein, who was the former president of ESPN and then had moved to NFL Network and he wound up hiring me a second time, which shows just how smart of an executive he really is. I told him at the time, I'm like, I'm not feeling it at ESPN right now. And he said, why? And I told him that story and I had no idea. I think he, (laughs) I thought like he's going to look at me like I'm crazy. I had no idea that he had remembered it. And when I got hired at at NFL Network, he made these bobbleheads of me holding up a number one jersey because I was his first round draft choice of NFL Network. There's only like six of these. And he gave me a note saying, you know, you're bobblehead worthy to me, which is well, like, I, I, I get emotional just even seeing I, this I, crazy I, thing. I, here. I get it. And that's really smart management by Bornstein, too. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I think somewhere in the book it says, give a movie star a million dollars or give him a hundred thousand in his own parking space. He'll take the parking space in a hundred grand. <laughs> I hear you. And this thing is also, too, it just reminds me of the time I had uh, had hair. Um, you know, if you bobble the hair, it doesn't come out, Ron. You know, it's one of those things. Um, at any rate, just, you know, wanted to tell that story since you asked. Um, thanks for coming on, man. Greatly appreciate it. Congrats on this book. Uh, are you going to go on a tour of any sort like that or what? I do a bunch of stuff starting Tuesday in L.A. and then I go to New York on the 25th of July. Okay. 
for a week of stuff, and then I go to Durham for three days. So you're going to sign? You're going to sign books and things sign like them. that? Yeah, and they do a film forum screening, and I do book signings all over the place, and then uh, a lot of interviews, uh, and then Durham, which I requested for three days, which is my favorite part of it. I love that. That is so great. They are, they just love everything about this movie there, and I know anytime we talk about it, I see the Durham Bulls retweet it, and they they just go crazy for it. Is there like a website that people can find out when you're coming into town or anything like that? So I don't know. Are? I have no social media, including you websites. Have, nothing. You Zero. got nothing. Zero. Zero. You're old school when it comes old to old school. I don't have time for. I anything. love that. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on this uh, on the show, Ron. Congratulations, the Church of Baseball again, where all books are acquired. Starting July 5th, day after our uh, nation's birthday, the making of Bull Durham home runs, bad calls, crazy fights, big swings, and a hit. I want to thank you, Ron Shelton. Also, today's guests, uh, uh, DJ Moore, uh, Mark Hubbard, uh, a, a longtime uh, grinder on the PGA Tour, and Jeff Passan of ESPN. Robert Griffin III is on tomorrow's program, and so much more. We'll see you on Thursday.